This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. Hey, Potential Podcast listeners, let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com slash potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being and let's get checked. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is The Potential Podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Sokol. Well, today, Taylor's a big day. This is our season two finale. Can you believe it? I can't. Can you say that one more time? Because I didn't, I didn't hear you right. Did you say that was our season two finale? The finale of season two. That's nuts. And we went bigger and bolder this year, folks. We did. You know, last year, we did 30 full episodes in season one. This year, we topped it. We did 40. So this is our 40th episode of season two, but our 70th full-length episode. Of course, we've been bringing you plenty of extra content with our bonus episodes and all of our potential picks our reviews but yeah we still will so even though this is the finale of our season 
We're going to continue to bring you reviews and whatnot uh, throughout the rest of this year and into next year. So don't fret. I know the two listeners out there, you're probably freaking out. Don't worry. It's going to be fun. Season three will be coming back next year. Uh, so we'll be planning that. And we're going to do a little bit of different format next year. So stay tuned for more news on that. But, you know, when we started season two, we thought about all these different movie franchises, video game franchises, things we love. And we came up with the fun little matrix parody to start off season two of let's take that red pill let's go down to wonderland and see what happens well you know it's only fair that we actually get going and talk about the matrix franchise because we do have a new movie coming up next month uh after a long you know break since uh the last movie we're getting now the matrix resurrections coming out uh on hbo max and in theaters december 22nd i believe they do love their Matrix and their R words for sequels. One day it's going to be the Matrix recycled. Uh, Matrix <laughs> retired. Whoa, retired. Here's my walker. Yeah. But we could not do it alone. No, no we folks, couldn't. We, could we don't want to, actually. We could have, but we don't want to. So we went into the Matrix. We dug deep. We found an architect himself, uh, a man who I got the pleasure of knowing on a national tour and we got to travel together and we soon discovered that we both are big movie buffs and that was something we definitely bonded on but today we have with us he's a musician and he has his own podcast the jackson's music podcast it's jackson harp how are hey. you good sir i'm doing well how are you guys doing doing great good, good to have you good here. good to be here man thanks for having me Big fan. I got to say, Jackson, you know, I gave you a list of different topics that we were going to look into the end of season two. And you immediately jumped to, I want to do the Matrix. You're like, mm -hmm. the Matrix is the one I want to do. Yes. And that got me hooked to think, okay, there's something about this series that particularly speaks to you. Because I will say, man, this, you know, I, I always like to start off with like, what was your first time ever seeing the film? Or like when you first heard about the film, I will say for me, it took me a couple of years before I actually saw the film once it was released. I think when it came out, it was still in that time period where I wasn't technically allowed to see rated R movies yet. And all I remember was seeing the art cover of it looked like Neo and I think Trinity and I think Morpheus was on there. And all I thought of this was some action film. I thought it was some brutal action film. I had no clue of the whole sci-fi element of what was going to blow people's minds. I just knew about that. And of course, everyone started hearing about the dodge the bullet moment. But what was the first time you ever saw The Matrix uh, whether it was in theaters or, you know, VHS, DVD, what say you? Right. So I had a bunch of friends who had seen it when it came out. And kind of like what you said, I was, you know, I wasn't really allowed to watch R-rated films. Then The Matrix Reloaded came out. And I think by this point, I was in, I think I was in seventh grade. And so I asked my parents if I could see it. And, you know, so my mom and dad kind of had to talk about, should we let him see it? Is he old enough? And my dad was like, well... He could definitely watch the first movie at this point because there's really nothing in the first movie outside of some violence and a couple of bad words that, let's face it, he's heard a thousand times because he's in middle school. <laughs> um, and so so I watched it on DVD. We rented it at Blockbuster. Um, and it was, it was a typical Blockbuster outing. Friday night, rent the DVD, come home, pop it in and chew on some popcorn and watch it. And yeah, it blew me away. I loved it. I think I, I think I've watched that movie front to back in my lifetime about about twenty times. Um, the fighting blew me away. The the visual effects were great. I think the first time I saw it story wise, I just didn't really catch on to what was happening because I was so mesmerized by everything else. 
And then over time, it was like, oh, okay, the lore of this is actually really, really interesting. Um, and then the sequels obviously developed that a bit more. And um, so, yeah, it's been, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a rabbit hole when you go down <laughs> just that uh, first movie uh. and then the whole trilogy. <laughs> I know, follow the white rabbit. Yeah. Do what I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of like you, it was a couple of years after it came out that I finally saw it. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, I would have, I think just like, you know, you said, like not knowing really what was going on. I think I, you know, all I knew was, you know, dodging bullets and the classic, you know, Matrix, like, oh, you know, and flying in the air. And like, I think, you know, I would see like references to it until later, much later, I would see it actually on DVD. So I never saw it like on TV. And I was like, I just wanted to check this film out. So I think maybe the second one was set to come out. And I was like, oh, maybe I should check out what these movies are about. And so I still was very young. I was in my early teens, but I just remember that I was like, this, this movie's really like crazy. Like you said, I was very distracted by how much was going on, but I didn't really understand the, the weight of such of these deep themes and just this idea of this, oh, maybe we're living in a simulated reality, but I, I really was enamored. I think what really what helped was just the performances and you've got this amazing cast and great villains. So I think that was just right away. I'm like, okay, this is really great. And then when the movies would come out later on DVD, I would then go like just soak those movies up and see them back to back. So yeah, I was really pretty into this movie. And I remember, I think I was like, I didn't know anyone else who would like, like this movie as much as I did. Cause my parents are like, Oh, it's really weird. I'm like, yeah, but I like it. So weird. It's not weird. Actually. What's so What's so interesting to think about the Matrix now, which I think is what they're definitely going to tie into when they do this new movie coming up, is how much we're obsessed with technology now. It was almost like ahead of its time when seeing that, you know, how much we rely on technology and how, like, the Matrix really, to me, it's like there is the sci-fi, there is horror, there is romance, and then there is action. It's a full-on, like, kung fu you know, extravaganza with some of these fight scenes that are fantastic. It even just like, uh, like the shootout uh, section, like when the other, like we're going to go save Morpheus and they what guns, lots of guns. And they go in and like that whole sequence is brilliant as well. And that's like its own kind of genre and all this stuff. But the lore of this is insane. And I do think that they were, the Wachowskis were like really it almost seems like a movie that you'd watch and you'd start to even like question your own reality. You'd be like, Oh crap. Are we living in a matrix? Did they have like a hint about something? Um, but I do agree with you, Taylor. The cast for this really is uh, top notch. And I know Keanu Reeves, it's like, this is like kind of coming off the time period where he was somewhat like made fun of a lot for being like, yes, he does have that kind of surfer dude sounding voice and I mean a lot of people look at John Wick nowadays and go like this is kind of like Neo a little older but the dude's awesome in this and I think like he has to really play that dumb like this is all happening to him for the first time you know and as we get further in the movies I mean really it's like you're looking like at a superhero you know like I, I like at Neo being like I mean yeah he can fly like Superman but I'm like this dude is like badass uh what he grows into and I mean, Hugo Weaving, we love as Agent Smith. I oh, mean, yes. I don't think you can outdo that villain. So, man, yeah, it's just great cast. And Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, I think, really does have that uh, sense of there's that like father element. You know, he's very careful and protective of Neo. But a lot of this movie, too, has to do with faith. 
believing in, you know, do you believe in the, the, the prophecy? Do you believe in the one? And which seems to go so against technology, you know, I feel like right. the, the machines are so like fact-based, but to have this kind of fantasy element of no, there is the one that's going to save us seems to almost like backtrack against like, which, which makes it what's such a good, like good versus evil fight in these movies. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of it's very, um, I mean, there's, there's biblical parallels all over the place. Um, you know, between like the chosen one and then you have, uh, what's his name? Cypher, who's, you know, sort of the Judas character. Um, and yeah, and, and you're right that I never thought of it that way before, but it does, it makes it a very clear kind of good versus evil, you know, um, sort of thing, uh, which, you know, I th- you know, and you're right, the humans versus machine aspect, I think, really puts a fine point on that as well. Well, even like the beginning, like I, I was just rewatching the the scene the other day with um, when Agent Smith first interrogates Thomas Anderson. He's like, you have two lives. You have, you know, the one that works for this company, you pay your taxes and all that stuff. But then there's this other one where you have basically committed a crime for every computer law there is. <laughs> and so he's painting this picture like, you're a bad man because you hack and you do all this stuff. Right. And then he's like, but we can clean that slate if you give up this one man who is a known terrorist. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, like <laughs> I think nowadays we're so used to being like, yeah, I mean, there are like criminal hackers, but there's also like, nowadays we have these groups that are like good hackers, like anonymous who like, they go off and like do these, like they reveal things that are like not good things in the world. And it's like, well, they're actually helping people. They just have kind of this hidden, you know, secret organization thing. So I thought that was a very interesting take in the beginning that like they paint him like he's some villain character, even though clearly we're like, no, that's the guy we're going to follow. He's the good guy. Well, and even just I like that, you know, the the agents who are these these programs of the Matrix, the you know, they get the, the men in black feel like just government agents. They don't, you know, they it just that kind of like how they're depicted is just like, oh, well it's the government we have to do what they say and and this whole idea of control i mean even in the simulation they don't flash badges they just like everyone accepts oh okay and then uh, and they're just kind of these faceless and emotionless and just the acting of like even the other uh, agent programs where they're just just so stoic and there's no like no kind of any personality very just like you know these faceless of uh, the shadow of the the government or big brother and everything and that just kind of goes into the themes of the computer hacking world and whatnot and i love the creepy element how they can always go into any any body in the matrix like they can you know like there's so many cool shots especially in that first film when neo's trying to escape at the end where he's running through building through building going through apartments, jumping around, and people keep constantly turning it. Yeah. You know, this one lady turns, and all of a sudden she throws, yeah. like, a knife. knife and, like, and it's, this it's homeless guy you're freaks like, out. Like, what's that going on? Like, like yeah. they're everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely makes it creepy because you're like, oh, gosh, they're there. And the fact that they're very strong, they can fight really well. Well, and that's the whole thing that, you know, Morpheus says in there. Like, if you're not one of us, you're one of them. It's like, even though these are all real people, they are, they are slaves to the system, and basically anyone could be uh the be uh, against you at any time yeah it's um and you know it really adds that horror aspect uh to it and and that was another thing that didn't really uh occur to me until i was kind of again rewatching uh some of the highlights of the first film recently and you know some of the best villains especially in in horror films are villains that you seemingly can't get away from you know it's like michael myers and halloween is just 
always walking and yet he's always right there um and the smiths are the uh the agents rather are kind of like that you know like you said at the end he's turning corners and there's an agent and then he turns oh that's a lady with groceries nope that's an agent um and it does it adds urgency uh especially in that first film and it's really keeps you engaged with what's going on they did that really well i like that they painted the picture that even the other agents start to kind of be like what is smith doing like there's almost yeah. like it's almost like his program is a little warped because uh-huh. he's a little too into taking down Morpheus, which leads to that that brilliant sequence when um, he's, you know, basically torturing Morpheus. He's trying to do the truth serum thing. And he's like, you people are a disease on this planet. Like he whenever he takes his glasses off, especially, I feel like they always have their glasses on. And when he takes it off, he's like, leave him with me. It's like they're kind of like, what what is what is he doing? Like um, so even painting the picture that Smith is a little more there's something else with his programming which then leads into why He's, he enjoys his job a little too much yeah he, he really becomes a huge threat in you know two and three to you know as he multiplies program wise but well i just you think this is interesting after watching these films i'm going to go back and do a little research we're talking about these themes here with you know religion and um mythology and philosophy what's very interesting is the wachowskis um years after the release uh, come out as transgender women and then they said some viewers have come back and look at a different lens that these are transgender themes in the film and like talking about the different pills like the red pills compared with red estrogen pills or even morpheus description of the matrix giving you a sense that something's fundamentally wrong like the splinter in your mind that you are of one you know of being compared to that gender dysmorphia so i thought that was very interesting going back and reading that you know now being an adult and and the world is opening up you know we talk about this is very interesting then we're going to the scene of the matrix is that there is a bigger world out there and i think that thankfully so that we are becoming more aware of you know different um gender identities and things like that so that was i think that's very interesting to see that that when this came out again another reason why it was ahead of its time and even keanu reeves said that he didn't know that was kind of an allegory this film for uh transness during the production so i think it's interesting to go back and seeing that and that kind of just shows you that doesn't matter if it's movies, shows, um, whatever kind of media, that art is not static. It's not one thing where you can look, go back and look at something like, oh, that really fits to what we're going on. That these themes, no matter how years or what time period they come out, they can change and you can view it through a different lens. That's really cool to think about. Yeah, that's, huh. That is really cool. I know, I, deep it, stuff here, a little yeah, <laughs> deep well, pause love, there. Well, that, but that's that's this <laughs> that's the series though. If you really think about it, it's like deep. Like I mean, you look at there's the horror element of when he's when Neo's being revealed. You know, it's like uh, Morpheus is explaining to him, "This is all the Matrix." So like you've been living in a, a a fantasy world that is made by machines, and you're all made to be this. And he shows up like a battery, and he's like, "No, no, this can't be real." And he's like, "No, I'll show you." And then the the awakening scene when they you know they that whole scene is so creepy when he's in this like sludge tank and this robot comes up and pulls out the plugs out of him and he's just like and you're like you're seeing millions of these cases and you're like oh my gosh that is such a creepy concept but then you parallel that with yes this religious theme of the one the chosen one and how thomas anderson is this guy who's kind of like just you know living his daily life he's not really like not much is going for him he has this job he hates his boss his boss is very agent smith like when he talks to him which i thought was interesting as well um and then 
to transform into this ultimate being that's going to save everyone against the machines. And it's and it's interesting we talk about Agent Smith and we're going to talk about him more as kind of he's the main villain really of, you know, besides the machines themselves. You know, we talked about Cypher earlier, Joe, Joe Pants, Joe Pantoliano, man, love it. Uh, it's interesting seeing his, like going back and watch this again, it kind of seen from his perspective, he's like, of the people that are awakened, and even Morpheus says, like, I'm sorry I did this to you, we usually don't do that to humans uh, of a certain age, because it's hard for you to wrap your reality, like I'm so used to this, even when they go back into the Matrix, and Neo's like, oh, I used to, I used to eat noodles at that place, you know, or like, so he's like, none of my life was real. And so Cypher's character is his interesting thing. Like, I'm awake, but I don't want to. I, you know, ignor ignorance is bliss. It's like, I'd rather Mr. Reagan. You know, like, he wants to go back to that reality because he doesn't care. He's like, you know, I'm tired of eating this, you know, runny oatmeal crap and all this and running. And so it's interesting to see he's, both. He's pulling, a, he's pulling a Jack from Lost. We got to go back. <laughs> um, yeah, I love when he's, like, eating that steak uh, with Smith and he's kind of making the deal. And he's like, I know this isn't real, but I wish it was real. I, I know what it, you know, the, the machines are telling me what it's meant to taste like, even though I know it's not real. Uh, but yeah, man. But hey, you know what? Whenever there's a character that uh, goes against his team, he does get his upcomings at some point. And uh, but I, feel, I always feel so bad for um, what's the one brother that like Dozer. Dozer, man. Good old Dozer. Also, man, this movie, that sequence when they they're basically being caught you know ciphers uh you know things happening and oh yeah the body count not like this not like this. that's like that's Aww. like the beginning of mission impossible when the whole team just wiped out i'm like we just met these people and they're just and like poor uh poor mouse he goes the out with the gun left. yeah he goes out with a Dude, he goes on guns off. blazing but Ma you like the woman in the red out. dress <laughs> digital uh, yeah, pimp I, hard at work I, I programmed it. <laughs> you want a personal meeting i can make that happen uh i was love he's like Neo's fighting Morpheus, you know. Oh, like, I know. I watched that scene today, and he's Morpheus is fighting Neo, and I love that nobody says anything. They all just jump up and like. I think uh, I think Tank hops over the table that they're all eating at. <laughs> Let's talk about the the fighting here for a a, a while. Um, yes, this is really a, a unique thing about this film, which I think some people, if, if they're not like I guess kung fu, or you know that kind of fighting style fans maybe they'll get a little bored of this but i think it really makes it for some interesting choreography and then of course the thing that this movie really pioneered that then has been copied and copied and parodied and copied is the slow-mo element the bullet the, time yeah the bullet time yeah. of not only just dodging bullets but you know the most like jumping in the air and then the slow kick kick and then back to full action but the fighting in this is awesome and that Morpheus versus Neo first fight is a very fun fight because it's like they're not really at the point of like not trying to kill each other, but you're getting the sense of like, I love that he has these programs that he can learn in the course of like an hour. He goes from like a novice to like a master. I know Kung Fu. I was like, man, I want that. Plug me. <laughs> yeah, plug him in with these. <laughs> I these, know Spanish. Let those me order machines, dinner. those great <laughs> high tech machines on that ship they have. Uh, feels like an analog like you're plugging into like a radio <laughs> but but that's so cool like to think like you know again using technology to better yourself like that's again it's like technology is the enemy in this movie but it's also their their like kind of like ace up their sleeve you know well, that's that wholesome uh symbolism though that the machines depend on the humans to survive but we depend on the machines to you know 
warm like you know exactly but uh just to think what that choreography and all the action how i mean 1989 this had a huge profound effect on many films to come of course it's been parried and stuff like shrek and all that but we wouldn't have a lot of these other films probably without this this inspired quite a bit i would i would have to say a huge impact in cinema yeah for sure and you know one of the things that really makes those fight scenes stand out because i am I'm not a martial arts expert. I, I did jujitsu for one year, but so, but I'm saying this because I'm by no means like an expert on choreography or anything like that. But I think in my mind, what makes a fight scene look so good is like wide angles where you can see everything and not, a, not doing a thousand cuts, you know, and that's what that movie did really well. And it was one of the first movies, um, you know, especially looking back that I watched that really did that you know there's movies i liked when i was a kid that i watch now and there'll be a fight scene where there's like five cuts for one punch and it looks awful and the matrix they did so well with just you see everything happening and they'll have cuts where they're needed um but it never feels like too much oh absolutely and that's a lot of problems with a lot of action films where it's just like too much and you you're not processing it where this is like, I'm, you're along for the whole entire ride. You feel like you're in the action. Exactly. And it feels like the cast did as much of the stunt work as they could. Oh, which yeah. Which that is a rarity, too. Like, you know, sometimes just with safety, you know, obviously, you can always tell when it's like back, back of head shots for some actors. But I feel like Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, and Hugo Weaving did a lot of the fight choreography in those action sequences and it really does show and they did it well very well that's the thing too because sometimes and, and it I looks think rehearsed sometimes so, yeah sometimes it looks rehearsed and you know and then in the interview they'll be like we wanted it to be authentic so we had the actors do everything and then sometimes i go watch a fight scene in a movie and i'm like you should have got a stunt person to do that <laughs> 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 and it didn't feel that way here like you watch keanu go and you're like my god Ted, yeah. is that you? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, so crates. Um, right. <laughs> I still, wow. I still love one of my favorite fight scenes of the first one. Has got to be the first fight, um, his first fight ever with Smith, uh, when they're in that oh, train yeah. subway. That's just like, oh, I'm it's so in, so yes, yeah, so, so intense. I love the one when he's little like against his throat, like hold on. He hits <laughs> like, him in the he he blocks the punch, but then he puts his fingers out and hits his throat, and he's like, oh. yeah, I just something like those little moments, and I just it's such a great. And they're not, they're not, some of these fight scenes are not quick and like done. It's intense. You're, you're, you're like, you're getting exhausted watching. You're like, oh my gosh. Whew. It is inevitable. Is you know what? Thanos, Thanos was not inevitable until before Agent Smith was. See, that's yeah. a thing that's about true. that. Um, yeah, the action sequences and then I, yeah, even like the gun choreography is like awesome. And, and obviously the dodging bullet moment is iconic and such a cool thing. And even like, you know, for that time period, and even once they kind of moved in to Reloaded and Revolutions, there's slightly better CGI, but even like, I kind of like how they animate, like, it's the bullet, but like, there's like a bullet kind of like trail of like, oh, yeah. when it's, like, I liked how they did that. So it, it doesn't come off like cheesy. It is, it looks just really cool. And obviously when we get more into in the next film, there are some moments where they chose to use CGI for some of the fight sequences. <laughs> That doesn't yeah. always look that great. And we'll get into that a little later. But I have to say that um, The Matrix, looking at this, you know, obviously these films, often sci-fi films, are never 
really honor when it comes to acting, writing, directing like that. But it did win four Academy Awards. Best film editing, best sound, best sound effects editing, and of course, best visual effects. Dude, the sound effects in that movie. Oh my God. I was obsessed when I was a kid because especially in the in like the 90s you know and i'm thinking like walker texas ranger like somebody would get punched and it was like you know that and in this movie it's like this weird like i don't even know how to describe it just and i haven't heard a sound like that since then it's only in those movies but it's like this it's just so interesting the sounds they picked for certain things we even like the tech element, you know, like obviously a lot of this and it's on the poster, you know, it's like the matrix code that they see. Like there's just like tech sounds a lot yeah. in these films too. Yeah. Or like when it's like sometimes panning from one shot to another, you'll be like, and like, yeah. And then also the, the music by Don Davis. It's oh, a great soundtrack. The score. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we which we later be inspired for our own uh, horror film, uh, Danny Boy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean the movie did really well. It, I mean, had a budget of sixty three million, and it made almost five hundred million worldwide. And it's still referenced today. I mean, people still. I mean, well, I mean, there's a new movie coming out, so people still care about it. Um, like it's it's iconic. You know, it's iconic. It's I think it's old enough now where we can consider it a classic. Definitely a classic of sci-fi. And to think that, like I said, it inspired others. But you think a, I mean, it's kind of funny. You think about a movie like Tron that came out in 82 years before would help inspire Matrix. But then you think then the Matrix would inspire Tron to create their sequel legacy. which is very reminiscent of, you know, oh, yes. what the others ones would do. But uh, yeah, just it still to this day that we're still looking back and thinking about it and uh, that we like you know going back and watching it and still with that fresh eyes like oh my god this is still as amazing as i remember watching as a kid yeah yeah i know it does it holds up it does hold up it's just yeah it's a it's an all-around just really solid movie and a franchise as with many franchises where like we just talked about back to future last week where the original film is always going to be you know remembered as the best but you know, like I said, that first movie did make money. And you know what Hollywood likes? Money. More money. And how do you make yep. more money? Sequels. You make sequels. <laughs> so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about part two, part three. We'll plug back into the Matrix. It's inevitable. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives. In one life, you're Thomas A. Anderson, program writer for... The A stands for awesome. Okay, Thomas Awesome Anderson, program writer for a respectable software company. You have a social security number. You pay your taxes. H&R Block, dude. And you help your landlady carry out her garbage. Whoa, how did you know that? The other life is lived in computers, where you go by the hacker alias Neo, and are guilty of virtually every computer crime. Actually, I'm going by Eno now. It's way more hip. Totally cool. One of these lives has a future, and one of them does not. I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. Well, I'll be forthcoming then, huh? <laughs> Look. You're here because we need your help. 
We know that you've been contacted by a certain individual, a man who calls himself Morpheus. Oh yeah, good old Morph. Wicked Sonny's man. Whatever you think you know about this man is irrelevant. He is considered by many authorities to be the most dangerous man alive. My colleagues believe that I am wasting my time with you, but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We are willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. All we are asking in return is your cooperation in bringing a known terrorist to justice. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal, but I got an even better one. Mr. Anderson, you disappoint me. Oh, God. What did you eat? Eno reveals nothing. We're done here. Goodbye, Mr. Anderson, and go see a doctor. Will do, Mr. Suitman. Will do. Welcome, Neo. Hope you're well-rested. It's time for your training. Are you ready? Totally. I'm ready. I got some great rest, had that goopy oatmeal, and downloaded all the training specs. Well then, let's get to it. Whoa. What is this? This is a training program, similar to the programmed reality of the Matrix. It has the same basic rules. What you must learn is that these rules are no different than the rules of a computer system. Some of them can be bent. Others can be broken. Understand? Here you go. What's this? This is paint. This is our finger painting course. Huh? Why? How about this? This is our next training course. Taxation. Uh... What do I do? You do my taxes. How does that help us? It helps me. Anyway, on to the next one. I call this one Dance Off. Wait, what? That's it, Neo. Go for it. Make it funky. Rock on with your bad self. See if you can match my moves with... Oh, good. Adaptation. Improvisation. But your weakness is not your technique. It's your hips. It's all in the hips. How did I beat you? You're too smooth and have way better legs than I do. Do you believe that me being sexier or lighter on my feet has anything to do with my skills in this place? You think these are my dancing shoes I'm wearing right now? Hmm? Again. And we're back. Wow, I didn't. I, I, that deleted scene was pretty awesome. I gotta say. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think they should have kept that in the original, original movie. But, well, folks, we are back talking about the Matrix trilogy and franchise. And like we said, first film did pretty well, so that means sequels are on the way. And very much in this pattern of the early two thousands, we would see with other films like Pirates and things. We got two films that are a continued story. So it's part two and part three, but they're all like kind of like one giant mega film story to kind of mega film to, to uh, finish off this series. So we thought uh, so released both in the same year. We had the Matrix Reloaded, 
and then the Matrix Revolutions. Uh, and this was going to continue the story of Neo and uh, expand the lore some more, you know, and a couple new villains introduced and a couple villains coming back in more ways than we thought. Uh, so Matrix Reloaded, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing both of these in theaters. So I do feel like I was at that age where uh, it was actually okay to see these. And after the hype of the first one, I think a lot of people were like, ooh, let's see where they can go next. I really do enjoy part two for what it is. I, I there's a lot that there's a lot that I like of part two and even chunks of part three, but it does start to get to like, oh my gosh, they really are. We're we're doing more about like over the top action than we were like that original spark of the lore and like the horror and the fantasy. It gets a little crazy in some of these films. But what are you guys? What are your thoughts on part two and part three? Uh, it definitely expands a lot of the story and there's some cool elements in it, but it's different. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting how they kind of tie these together as a full story. Well, even just, I mean, I do even just kind of the visual aspect of it, just like with the first one, it just seemed a little, like a little darker, a little grittier tones of the matrix. And this was a little bit more brighter. I don't know if you, if it just seemed like the lighting, especially when they're in the matrix, it just seemed a little bit more more colorful at times especially i don't i don't know it just had a different atmosphere if you will yeah yeah i could see that i see what you're saying i don't think i don't think i've thought of that before but yes yeah it seems less uh for lack of a better word gray i guess i guess when you look at the matrix in the first film it's a lot of muted colors very gray and there's um yeah they i I think you're right they do a lot more even with um and even with things that aren't particularly colorful. So like there's the scene where it's a great shot. It's a very John Woo shot, but it's a very great shot. Um, after Neo gets done talking to the Oracle right before the big. Um, brawl with yeah, all the, the, all the Smiths. Yeah. yeah the Smith brawl. Um, the Smith, brawl. A, <laughs> Smith is walking up and there's that big music cue and all the crows go flying and there's a slow-mo shot of just him walking and the crows really just, they pop right off of the screen. You know, it's like this bright background and then this dark contrast with all these crows flying. Um, so yeah, you're right. There's a lot more of that in this movie than in the previous one. Well, even like, I, I mean, it's a great action sequence. It really is. But the whole car chase on the freeway, which is a fantastic sequence, it is a very bright, sunny day, um, which I think is just, yeah, it's a little uh Yeah, that one in particular, that scene, yeah. kind of, yeah. It's a very bright scene where it's like usually a lot of this is in the the darker tones, even in the the matrix itself. But I mean, things that I did like about the, these these part two and part three that expanded the lore. Uh, I like that we we did have a lot more of like okay, we only really had the one ship uh, in the first film, but like there are other ships. You know, we're getting more of like actually getting to Zion, seeing this huge uh, you know human fort, if you will, way down under underground that the machines are trying to get to the threat of they are digging so we need to get going with this plan because they're going to come and if they hit us they're going to kill everyone that is their goal and so it really kind of expanded the threat a little bit more whereas the first film really is just kind of like they're trying to get morpheus they're trying to get neo and i would say i don't know if you guys agree with this i feel like going after going back and watching these and kind of going to rush through the last two i felt more i liked it was more self-contained with there's these movies where you do you feel the threat of humanity whether it's the whole world or a small population 
you know, going and meeting a lot of the, the Zionites, I guess, the Zionites, you know, whatever you call these, uh, these uh, residents of Zion. Zionians. The Zionians. Um, Zambonians. Um, no, it's something different. But I think that I didn't feel for the characters as much. I didn't really care about these other people, like the council or just, you know, I still was follow. I was still more invested in Morpheus and Trinity and, you know, I don't, you know, and I didn't feel like as more connected with these characters where... You know, you can you can do that as we've seen with other films like these other franchises where you can have these big, you know, groups um, of characters or something like that. You know, we've seen the Marvel movies and other, but I didn't feel as connected. And you know what? Kind of looking back and watching the first Matrix, you know, stop on the on the one ship Nebuchadnezzar. It's kind of great that it's even though these guys, the whole crew dies off so quickly, I felt connected with them already. Very similar, like what you see with Alien. You got the even though a lot of people get killed off pretty quickly. You get connected to these people because they're these everyday Janes and Joes, whatever. Uh, so, I don't know. That was just kind of my thought process going back and watching these sequels. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's interesting what you said about Zion because I, I was interested in the idea of Zion. But but you're right. The looming threat of the machines, I I didn't really feel myself caring about it that much until the third movie. Because in the second film, it's just sort of like, well, this is Zion, and the machines are up there, and they are bad. And that's pretty much the end of that rope in the second film. And so you're just kind of left with, well, okay, anyways, what's everyone else up to? And you know what we're going like to do? A, we're going to uh, party. We're going <laughs> to have a giant party. We're going to have a giant rave. Random rave scene. With sweat and nipples. and There's a lot of nipples. A lot of nipples and a lot of sweat. It was such a weird scene yeah. and like half of it was, was in slow motion. And I just remember, you know, I, I think by the time I got around to the second movie, I think I was, again, I was like 12, 13. And, uh, I, you know, I think I was just like, wow, we're really lingering on this. And even like now when I watch it, I'm like, seriously, this is a long scene. Like, like it's damn. a very long scene. And like, I, I get they're they're trying to drive to Neo and Trinity finally hooking up, but it's like, I'm pretty sure they hooked up on the ship at this point. Like, right. I don't think that, I don't think that like was a, their first time having sex. Like, come on. Like, this isn't a revelation, you yeah. know? Like, the Matrix revelations. Yeah, it should have, it should have been. <laughs> we will make them hear us. It's like, okay. Don't you want to not give yeah, you should away be your like, position? Feel like knocking down there. Keep it down, down there. We're trying to get it on. <laughs> but um, I will say, though, okay, going on Smith there for a second. So, obviously, in the first film, you know, Neo basically goes into Smith's body and then explodes from within and destroys, destroys his him. programming. Essentially. Um, so we so we think, but I like that you know there's new agents in this, and he's like, oh, upgrade. So like clearly, the Matrix knows Neo is a threat. They know he's very strong, so they have to increase their security no matter what. But having this wild, rogue, new I guess virus program of Smith that can you know keep making copies. I mean, that fight sequence, although it is a lot of fun to watch. It's rough. It does get very cartoony. It gets very cartoony because there is so much CGI used. Like even, not even just Smith's bodies bouncing everywhere, but like Neo, like he'll, he'll jump up and like he has like the pole at one point and he's like flipping around and stuff. And it's like so CGI. And I'm like, I was like, you didn't really do that in the first film. You still had like the actual people just in like what Trinity would do like slow-mo and like kick, kick. I was like, why did we feel we had to go to like heavy and like this is the cgi day and age where like 
no one buys it like we can tell right. it's like the skin doesn't well, look right it's like all like basically the flubber you're like rubber <laughs> rubber ragdoll yeah. I'm, I'm just seeing this one I'm like you can't see this but i was just like it's kind of I'm kind of like laughing at that scene when he's got like his little stick and he's whacking him around and playing whack a oh, smith yeah. it's like a it's like he's at a carnival or something just <laughs> the batting cages you know well the early 2000s um was this weird period where cgi got better um, by a pretty significant amount, but it was in sort of this uncanny valley area where it was better, but still not great. So, you know, it's, you have movies like Matrix Reloaded, even the first Spider-Man movie with Sam Raimi, there's and the, like the first couple of Harry Potter movies had this where you watch them and there's, there's a lot of CGI, even in moments where maybe even for the time it wasn't entirely necessary, but they were, I think a lot of movie studios were just very excited and so they were like, let's do all the CGI we can. And now when you watch it, you're like, less is more. But you're right. That, that scene got so cartoony. And it was weird because the first movie took itself seriously, but it wasn't trying to be this deep, poetic, you know, you know, it, it didn't it didn't feel like an epic. It felt like a very just self-contained movie with some really cool ideas and you know even symbolism. though this, even though we like okay you have this you're in a big city you're in the matrix we know that it did, did feel more personal and self-contained even though you have all this big yeah that's yeah exactly one of the th one of the other things they did weird in that fight scene was i don't know if you remember this but there's like at the tail end of it um right before neo flies away he throws one of the smiths into the other smiths and he bowls and there's them. like there's a bowling pin sound yep. effect yep <laughs> When he hits them, and I remember being like, "What? What? Why?" Introducing the new video game Matrix, Matrix Bowling. <laughs> but what doesn't make sense though is so they they really used heavy CGI in that fight, but then the really well done fight sequence in the chateau with Neo fighting like the five assassins, yeah, is no CGI or like very little. It, it's, it's very it's not noticeable. That's for sure. It does have more of the slow mo. It has more of the bullet time in there, but it has. More of like, all right, these are practical weapons and we're actually like more of the fight choreography we're expecting from the first film. And like, I like that sequence a lot. I think it's got some really cool action in it and it doesn't feel like there's a moment where it's like, oh, rubber man with his giant mace trying to hit the, you know, I feel like it's much more <laughs> uh, a cool sequence. And then, yeah, obviously when he starts to like fly, like another really noticeable CGI moment is when Neo flies just in time to rescue Morpheus and the Keymaker when the two trucks punch each other, and like he, and he like spins, he spins and like in the air, and like you're like, well, um, it's noticeable, but you know, it's a cool, cool looking scene. But um, but even like yeah, like Morpheus, like his fight sequence with its agents, but also the twins, and like he's got like his samurai sword, like badass, and like that whole a lot of that is more practical, and that was kind of cool too. The twins, like. I like the twins. They're only featured in the one movie, but the fact that they could like kind of go into like ghost mode, if you will, like yeah, they, they like, like yeah, that and they could reset their their bodies basically. Like I mean, he's shooting his arm up, and he's like, they're like these basically. I guess they were repurposed like old agent programs, something like that. It was cool. Like like a knife would go through them, but they would like turn into ghost mode, and so they they aren't getting cut. That was pretty. It was cool. kind of a cool, but I mean, how badass is Morpheus when? <laughs> He like gets the truck so that it falls over and he's like cut it with the samurai sword and it's just like boom, 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 boom. And the thing just explodes and the twins are like, 
Oh shit! Well, sense. definitely with the second one, Morphe's got a lot more action because in the first one, there's it's not a ton for him because he gets captured pretty early on the film. Well, they they had I feel like Morpheus they they stay to that trope of he is the mentor character, and so you're he's fa- like Yoda. You know, he's like Yoda or Obi Wan. It's like you're having you're <laughs> wanting Neo Splinter. to you know Master Splinter. <laughs> I will say a cool concept that I did think was done pretty well. I don't know how much they. I it's been a while since I've seen Revolutions, but. I did like, you know, for the, the concept of how they do the, you know, they get plugged into the matrix and then the way they escape is they find a phone uh, and they, you know, they time it out so that they can answer the phone and then they wake back up in the real world. I really thought it was a cool and it was a great, like, this is a great, like, cliffhanger that Agent Smith somehow has gotten into uh, a body in the real world. And he's going to now try to do what he trying to kill, you know, Neo and Trinity that way. That was a cool concept. And even the guy they hired, he looks like Hugo Weaving. Like he had like this kind of Hugo Weaving-esque. Apparently he did such a good impression. They like cast him for that That must have been it. Because he just felt like I was like, is that Hugo Weaving? I was like, no, it's not (laughs) Hugo Weaving. But he has this like the way he talked and stuff. I thought that was a cool concept. It was spot on. But the third film really is like. It's like it feels like 80% of the film is just this whole battle with the machines, which I mean, it feels like they heavily borrowed from uh, James Cameron with some of those uh, machine things they have, uh, which I mean, there's some cool stuff. I like that general guy who's like, you know, kind of leading the whole charge. But I don't know, the third one, it gets like, like when they get, you know, it's Neo and Trinity going off to try to find the machine, like, headquarters i guess can say like base and then leading to that that giant like this is the point where they were like well we've had this fight we've had this fight we've had this fight we're gonna have the final fight between agent smith this is like final agent smith and uh neo it has to be like what should we do i don't know you ever watch dragon ball z yeah Yeah. let's do that (laughs) but you know what'd be great what it's all in the rain (laughs) (laughs) so we can have slow-mo rain and just like water bubbles explode through the city yeah um, yeah it gets a little like wonky and it wasn't even a point at one point where like agent smith's face is like in the clouds like the lightning i think there was something like that i don't know if it's his clouds and the lightning there's there's a couple of cheesy shots i remember he gets neo on he gets neo on the ground at one point and he puts his fist up to punch him but he like holds it there and they like insert a lightning strike right behind oh maybe that's him. what it is yeah and even at even the first time I watched the movie when I was like on premiere high, like that shot happened. And I remember going, man, come on. What? <laughs> <laughs> it looks so hokey and his his face is all intense. So he's like, he was, you know. he was, he's been blinded by this, the guy who was Smith in the real world. And then, yeah, the, you know, as you talked about religious allegories and stuff, the way the, the movie ends with him, like essentially making a deal with the like the machines like make a face i was like what is this finding nemo like the school of fish <laughs> it's uh, like can somebody please give me the reaction <laughs> i guess that would have been the same year so i guess maybe they both uh talk to each other but um him like that that kind of yeah very much has like the jesus moment of like even like his whole body like lights up like a cross what is like he's like you know for, forgive them they know what he is like you know telling god forgive these people let me sacrifice myself so it's like Pretty apparent there, but I, I do like that idea that, um, and this one really plays in those other two about that choice versus fate or free will. Like, do you like, and I just love, you know, going back and forth, you know, because he's in both the architect scene, you know, I got to go back. I think that was really great where he's like, there's only two doors. It's like, well, I'm choosing my own door. And I think that really kind of 
played into that like great epic kind of duality of the two sides of the coin. I'm glad you brought up the architect because actually I was going to say that I feel that the architect scene and the way that they describe that there's been multiple versions of the matrix and every single time there has been this uh, Neo-like character that has uh, happened. So it's almost like, is it a continuing cycle? And I wonder if this is how they're going to tie in this new film is Resurrections going to be that this is a new version for like, you know, the new version of the Matrix. This is Neo, but he's been, the, you know, it, the Matrix gets smart and realize they need to keep him contained so that he's not Neo. And so that's why, like, you see in the trailer a lot about blue pills. And so, like, like he's been, he has a therapist, looks like, by, you know, played by um, uh, MPH. MPH, Neil Patrick Harris. And like, he's, continually medicated so i wonder if like he's being contained to not see the reality but he's going to start having these visions of his former self and so i wonder if that's kind of where they're going with resurrections it's a very interesting concept because you know 2003 revolutions ended so both films in that year so now you know 18 years later which i mean we've seen this in hollywood time and time again a lot of film franchises get uh, uh, a redo, a uh, new sequel, a continuation. And nowadays we're really in this booming, like we're just about to have, you know, we just had uh, Ghostbusters and, you know, it's like people live for the nostalgia element of some of these stories, but trying to tell it in a new way that's not just a rehash. So I'm very curious to see what the story is going to be. Well, especially but... where they brought Trinity back, supposedly. Yeah, so those two are back, but it's like, I'm like, no. Well, it looks like Hugo Weaving is part of his face at one point in the trailer because i mean smith is technically a part of him i guess so there's a part where he looks in a mirror you see Keanu's face turn into like what looks like hugo weaving with hair and then it goes back to his face but it's gonna be hard to like watch and be like ah no lawrence fishburne no hugo weaving but if they do it right i'm like i don't know uh and also just i mean i i'm excited to see what they do but i'm very hesitant about how it's going to all go down. What do you guys think about this new movie 18 years later that we're getting for the continuation of the matrix? Um, I, I, so I got pumped when they dropped the trailer and then I watched the trailer and I became very skeptical because I mean, I hope you're right. I hope they do something really different and really unique, but the trailer boy, man, it just, it looks like a total rehash. Yeah, and I think that's the problem because, I mean, the fact – I thought when they were going to do this, they weren't going to have any of the original stars. And I think I would have been more excited about that because I'm like, okay, what what new thing can you do? And I think they're just – oh, they just bring Keanu back because, you know, that's going to get people back in the seat. Yeah, and it – and the even – um, and my wife even commented on this because I showed her the trailer. And when you see Keanu, she looked at him and she went – he. I mean, he looks the same as he does in John Wick. I know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're just capitalizing on the fact that John Wick put Keanu back on the map of like cinematic action. Um, I'm not allowed and it's to shave like, my beard. It's right. the object. Yeah. Well, like the cynic in me is kind of like, I bet this is really why they did Matrix 4 is because they were like, oh, we can make some money with this because Keanu's popular again. Um, but I, I would like to believe that there's something more creative um going on but I, I i agree with you taylor i think i would have been more interested in a, a story with some fresh characters 
Um, and maybe like Keanu is the new architect or he's has involvement somehow, but even like an idea of going, cause they, they talk about, we don't know what year it is. We don't know when this started, like going back before the machines took over and then the first iterations of the matrix, you know, I, I, and I, we talk about this, Chris and I have talked about this many times. I'm sure you'll agree when you go back to doing a story instead of doing sequels, prequels, you know, talking about that, we just saw this article about predator about setting it in the time of like, uh, the Comanches and making it like, Ooh. you know, not going in the future, but going back because there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of these origin stories that. that we've seen that really work because even if it's not, you know, instead of a reboot, let's so like, you know, there's so like he, all these, they said six iterations of the matrix or the one let's talk about those, those stories. You could make up, I mean, look at, we, you know, you've got all these prequel trilogies. Why not do that? And I think I would have been maybe more excited about that because there's still a lot of untapped um, ground to cover. Well, apart from this upcoming movie, there has been a few things along the way that uh, I actually haven't seen. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember actually watching. Did, you, did you, either of you guys watch any of the Animatrix that came out? I've seen parts of it. I did not, actually. I've seen parts of it. It's, it's really short it, films, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of short movies. Um, a couple of them were written by the Wachowskis. One of them is... Uh, kind of a prequel it it basically lays out how the the war between the humans and the machines and how the machines took over um and the probably the most well-known one is uh final flight of the osiris which is um which is actually referenced actually it's more than referenced um so like the matrix reloaded part of that story kind of hinges on this little short story in the animatrix and and I remember being confused when I first watched Reloaded. I was like, they're talking about the machines have a drill. They got a message from this other ship. Is there a part of the movie I missed? Was it after the rave scene? I tuned out after the rave scene. Was it after that? Um, and it, it was this little uh, this little short film, uh, like a 10, 15 minute film in the Animatrix where this crew of this ship called the Osiris end up getting a message uh, it's basically Rogue One, but for the Matrix. They get a message um, that the machines are trying to drill their way into Zion, and they're like, we've got to let somebody know. Um, and so they get their message out, and the Nebuchadnezzar, or not the Nebuchadnezzar, the Hammer, I guess, picks it up, or somebody picks it up. Um, so that one's really cool. The most, probably my favorite one is actually, uh, it's very unrelated. It's about this athlete. I think he's like a track athlete, and he's you know, he's like pushing himself, you know, whenever he's in a race, he's physically and mentally pushing himself past the point of exhaustion. And when he hits that point, he starts having all these visions of like, you know, he sees like the agents and he's seeing code and like all this weird stuff. And that one's really cool. Well, like the idea that you push yourself so far that like you're hallucinating and seeing quote unquote, the real world um, is, I thought that was really cool. And I haven't seen the, that. Those are the only ones I've seen. There's an anime one, I think. Um, there's a few of them. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't needed to go back and watch those, but I do remember there, there was a few video games, and I think I played the Matrix Path of Neo. Oh, I did. That was uh, a lot yeah. of fun. I think yep. that's one I played. I remember it was pretty fun. Uh, but I wonder if we're gonna get any more Matrix games with the new movie coming out. I'm sure there would be. Well, and I think you know they had had did the Matrix online. I think with nowadays because online video game you got Fortnite, 
on all those. I think with this new one coming out, it'd be great to do something like that because you could do quite a bit. And if you get the nitty gritty of like the agents and going back to the roots of how, you know, fast pace and kind of, we talk about the little scary little horror elements, that would be really great. Even making like a first person, you know, shooter or action game. I would be, I'd be all for that. Who knows? You know what? Uh, this wasn't a matrix video game, but it was a game that I guess the developers really liked the matrix was the very first Spider-Man game for PS2, the one based on the movie. One of the cheat codes is called Dodge This. And while you're fighting bad guys, there will be random slow motion, like bullet time moments. Oh, that's cool. Like as you're fighting, it's it's very, very neat. That is really <laughs> cool. That was actually that was one of my favorite games on PlayStation 2. And some of the best cheat codes. I miss cheat codes. We, where I miss they cheat codes too. I you know. know. That's yeah. Now, Bring now back you, the cheat code. Well, no, if you did get a cheat code, you don't get the trophy. No, now, now you have to buy them. That's what yes, they are yeah. now is in oh, England purchases. Right, 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 right. Of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jackson, I want to end here with, you know, so yes, we're getting this new movie. And, you know, if it does well enough, I'm sure we might get more. Or maybe we'll get original stories. And, you know, nowadays, too, as we always mention, the popularity of television uh, via streaming shows has really grown. You know, people are getting away from the typical CBS, ABC, you know, 24 episodes a season. No, now we're really hooked on these eight to 10 to 12 really good episodes a season to tell these stories. And, you know, some TV shows really are just like one season or two seasons. These limited series are doing pretty well. And we've seen this with a lot of these horror shows and stuff like that, especially Netflix. We could see some, uh, you know, Matrix stuff in the in the future, but... Do you think that, um, you know, looking at just sci-fi as a whole, looking at yeah movies that really are important, where do you see, where do you see the Matrix standing, like even like 40, 50 years from now in terms of uh, something of a, you know, a really brilliant original movie, a, a bit of a telltale warning sign with, you know, our obsession with technology, especially now, like there's that one shot. I love the shot in the new, new trailer where all the kids are in the elevator and they're looking at their phones and then... Uh, Keanu Reeves like looks up at the sky like he looks like the reflective mirror of the elevator he's like everyone's obsessed with their phones like which is uh, sadly what we are today but where do you think the Matrix is going to stand you know uh, a couple generations from now I think well you know a couple of generations from now they won't be able to use the original crew from the um, you know from the original trilogy so honestly I think a couple of generations from now, if they decided to revisit this, um, especially if they did it as a, as a series, I think it would do really well, you know, cause it would, it would force them to come up with some new ideas and, you know, okay, we don't have Keanu Reeves anymore. That's going to be a sad day. Um, we don't have Keanu anymore. We don't have this person and that person. So what else can we do? What other stories can we create? Um, cause you know, again, with this movie coming out, I, I hope it's good, but it definitely feels it definitely feels like they're sort of capitalizing on the popularity of some of the main cast. And, and it's, it's a shame because it's a really cool, the idea is really intriguing and the universe that was sort of created with it. Um, I think there's a lot of untapped potential there. Um, and, you know, even as faulty as the sequels are, um, there were some really interesting ideas that were explored. Things like ghosts are actually viruses and, you know, the machine war and the, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I think there could be a really cool opportunity to build a series maybe about like, 
don't know, Zion or, you know, the first one, um, the machine in human war, things like that. I, I would really like to see that. Well, Jackson, we thank you for coming on the podcast today to talk about the matrix, but totally. we can't let you go yet. No, nope. we have our guest seat. questions for you. Stay keep in, the plugged in a little longer. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> we have a few, uh, guest questions for you. These are rapid fire. This is things that you enjoy. So, uh, what is your favorite movie? Forrest Gump. Number two. What is your favorite TV series? Oh, ugh, this is hard. Uh, right, in, like of all time or just currently? Oh, it doesn't matter. Okay, I'll go with currently. Uh, Midnight Mass. Oh, so good. good stuff. It really was. Number three. Favorite video game or video game series? Bioshock. That's a, that's a, we've heard that before. Our, our guest last week also liked Bioshock. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Number four. What is your favorite style of music or favorite artist? Uh, jazz and funk snarky puppy is my favorite band oh that sounds sounds funky to me uh what is the favorite place you've traveled to banff canada number six what inspires you what has inspired you to where you are today oh man uh people who are way better at the trumpet than me (laughs) (laughs) well going along off that line what is the best piece of advice you've received oh that's interesting or a good piece of advice that you uh like to you know go by uh best piece of advice i've received is probably um i think it's i think the golden rule of like treat the people around you the way you would want to be treated uh it's an easy rule to forget especially if you know you've had a long day or a bad day and then you've got a gig that goes until 2 a.m and it's easy to forget and get really crappy with people um and so that would that would probably be my piece of advice because you never know who's around and who you're interacting with. Very true. Uh, number eight, what is uh, your nerd level on a scale of one to 10? One, um, not so much and 10, uh, super nerd. Ooh, like a nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's at like, least a nine. Jackson's one of us. Uh, he's, uh, <laughs> Welcome, he's <up> brother. <laughs> um, number nine, what is the guilty pleasure of yours? Ooh, all of the Steven Summers movies. So like the Brendan Fraser mummy, the mummy returns, Van Helsing. We just did a we did a vampire episode and we actually had some people be like, you didn't mention Van Helsing. <laughs> I was like, we'll do a Van Helsing. We'll do actually do a Stephen Summer uh, episode one day. It'd actually be pretty cool. Stephen Summer during the summer. That's what we should do. During, yeah, Ooh, there you go. I love Stephen <laughs> Summer. Summer Stephen. <laughs> I don't care how bad, I don't care how cheesy any of those movies are. I've heard people dog on Van Helsing over and over and I'm like, you shut your mouth. I watch it every year. Every year. <laughs> it's got its own level of cheese. You got to love it. And uh, last but not least, uh, number 10, give us your best impression. Mm, best impression. Yes. Search around. Uh, lost all my things, have I? Mm. <laughs> very nice. I love that. Very nice. <laughs> well, thank you, Jackson, for being on the podcast today. If people want to follow you and your own podcast, where can they do that? Ah, yes. So you can follow me at Jackson Harp Music on Facebook. I have a music podcast that's fairly inconsistent, but, uh, you know, I've done several episodes with musicians in Tampa. Um, and I've also have a collection of two years now that I've done this, uh, every, the last couple of Octobers I've interviewed, uh, composers who have written for horror movies, films, uh, video games, that oh, kind of thing. Fantastic. It's been really fun. Um, so yeah, Jackson Hart music on Facebook, J Harp music, uh, on Instagram. That's where you can find me. Nice. Well, thank you, Jackson. We really do appreciate you being on the podcast today. You got here just in time for our big season two finale. I am honored. Thank you for having me. Talking about a great franchise we love so much. And 
uh, we're cautiously excited to see uh, the future of, but cautiously excited. I like that. Yeah, that's a that's a good word. But you know what, Taylor, man, congrats to you, man. We did a lot of a lot of work this season. A lot of talking. You know yeah, congrats, we will guys. be back. We will be back for season three next year. But stay tuned. We will we'll keep you up with our reviews uh, next four weeks because we got some big movies to finish off the year, especially that web slinger. He's up to no good. I'm excited for that. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. That's uh, going to be good. I oh, hope. man. Oh, yeah. we I don't even care if it sucks. It's yeah. going to be, we're going to be so entertained. Yes, we will. So, everyone, you stay plugged in uh, to the podcast Matrix and uh, take the red pill. See you next time. <laughs> take, the, <laughs> take the red pill. Do you believe? Till next time, folks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.